T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to In-Depth. I'm your host, Jill Webb. You may not think of New York City as a college town, but it is. There are 120 colleges and universities here. The CUNY system alone has 26 schools. While the student experience here is completely different than a place like Charlotte, one thing our colleges have in common with others, the historical lack of presidents who are women. According to the census, 47% of workers across all fields are women. In New York State, it's 37%. But when you stare up that corporate ladder, women slip through the cracks at every level of management. By the time you get to the top, data shows only 8% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women. This underrepresentation also exists when we look at the presidents of what's considered R1 universities. R1 universities are schools that meet specific benchmarks and research activity. This includes the Ivy Leagues like Columbia, public schools like Stony Brook, and private ones like Syracuse. Here's what's baffling. 55% of those who earn PhDs at R1 universities are women, but only 22% of R1 universities currently have a woman serving as president. Women of color, only 5%. Today we're asking, why are there so few university presidents who are women? These disparities were explored in a study by the Women's Power Gap Initiative. The group works to increase the number of female CEOs. And AAUW has been at the forefront of... Gloria Blackwell is the CEO of the American Association of University Women, one of the organizations that contributed to the report. She explains one of the big reasons why the study only looked at R1 universities. They educate one out of every five of our students, and they employ over a million individuals. And so, you know, they're major drivers of even our state economies and, you know, in national research. So it was really important to get at how were they functioning in terms of their own internal leadership 
and diversity. The study highlighted how universities are sending droves of female alumni to break barriers, but they're not hiring enough women within their own institutions. I have been in this for almost uh, two decades. Taboho Moja is a professor at NYU. She teaches courses on higher education. When we look at leadership in higher education, we find that uh, lots of studies actually indicate that at the top of the pyramid, it's always males, while at the bottom, you have lots of women who never really make it up to the senior positions. Let's look at NYU. It's number 41 on the Power Gap Studies ranking, but it's never had a female president. Neither has almost half of the 130 R1 universities. Professor Moja says this is a systemic issue. What has been kind of unclear is what the blockages are, why women are not advancing to that higher level. Very few really make it to full professors, then move on to the senior level. NYU's provost is a woman. A university provost is essentially a vice president. The office of the provost is staffed by assistants, associates and all, and they're mostly women. So that's one thing you say where you put a woman in leadership who's able to uplift others and bring them higher to the senior levels. She says diverse representation in a top position like provost can ripple across the university. And while conversations on diversifying leadership certainly play out in the classroom, we teach courses on leadership in higher education. What's really essential is structural change. Where the institutions take a stance that we need to advance women, we need to see women in senior positions. Without that, she says universities are sort of stuck in a hiring bubble. What we see happening is common in situations where one sector of society dominates and they're much more comfortable in letting people who are like them enter the space. So who makes the choices, who makes the decisions? Professor Moja believes that can lead hiring committees to pass over candidates who are women. Sometimes I feel like they are just being included for the sake of justifying the process, that it was an equitable process, but at the end of the day, feeling much more comfortable giving the position to a male president or a male leader. Only six R1 schools have had at least three presidents who are women. Three. Among them is CUNY's Graduate Center, which is in Manhattan. We connected with its current president, Dr. Robin Garrell. She explains what's different at a university with a history of women in its presidency. I think it's a really big deal. Look at leadership over time. And if there's never been one, even until now, there are dozens of universities that have had zero. How can that be? So, you know, coming to the Graduate Center to be the third is, is really remarkable. Long before Dr. Garrell was even thinking about university leadership, she was aware of gender gaps in academia. I think it's something I saw back in high school. 
you know, and I was considering what university I would go to for my, my bachelor's degree. I ended up being in the ag school at Cornell. I went there in part because it was an Ivy school, but it has many more women than any of the other Ivies at the time, except for maybe Dartmouth, I think. So that was a factor in my choosing where to go to school. And it was really clear that even as an undergraduate, my entire time as an undergraduate, I had two women professors, two. And that's just faculty. So forget the leadership part. (laughs) She's seen firsthand how women are underrepresented in higher education. Before NYU, she served as vice provost for graduate education and dean of the graduate division at UCLA. UCLA had its 100th birthday in 2019. And by, say, around, uh, I guess, 2012 or so, the entire history of physical sciences, so math and chemistry and physics and so on, they'd only ever had two women chairs of departments. And the traditional path is you become a vice chair or chair, and then that's your pathway to becoming a dean and then a provost and a president. So in some ways, I, I think that I and my colleagues felt that that path was not available to us. How exactly can a history of women leaders change the culture of university? Here's an example. The Graduate Center was started 60 years ago, and its first leader, who was then called a dean, Mina Reese, was a mathematician. So she herself was fairly rare, a scientist who's a woman and leading a university. Not long after, Frances Deacon Horowitz, a psychologist, again, a scientist, led the university. And she was responsible for the move to our current location. She also restarted our on-site childcare center, one of the very few universities that you know, decades ago had this. And what a difference it makes for the success of women faculty and staff and graduate students. Sometimes all you need is a leader with an awareness of the problem to implement a solution. I want to be very intentional and not stereotype men and women. But what I think women often bring into the room is an awareness of the challenges and barriers that women and first-gen students and parents, it could be men or women students, are experiencing. That sensitivity can guide how presidents shape the campus experience for students, faculty, and staff. And that then gets us thinking about what kind of support structures we need in place to allow people to do their best work. You know, I can think back without attribution to conversations I've had, like, that are more in the monastic tradition, right? Well, I went through this and you can too, you know. And happily, these days, we have a a much more nuanced and sensitive view, maybe amplified by our experiences during the pandemic, that we are, are human beings, we have complex lives, And if the person and their environment is supportive, that's how they do their best work. Studies show that Black women are one of the most educated groups in the U.S. But remember what I said earlier about women of color making up less than 5% of leaders in these schools? I asked Gloria, who we heard from in the beginning, about these disparities. But first, let's note the challenges the report's authors encountered when gathering their data. In order to secure this kind of data, most of which is not publicly available, the researchers really had to rely on receiving information from the institutions to be able to disaggregate so much of the information. And only about 38% of the universities actually shared their diversity data. 
they don't readily know who comprises the board. What is their race, gender, and ethnicity? The board's diversity data matters because they're university decision makers. Of the boards that we studied, only 8% had gender parity. She says it's not a lack of talent holding women back. It's not a pipeline issue, that there are more than enough women who are qualified and that the women that we spoke to could share how they, overall, women had made such great strides in advancing their education. You heard all of the stats. They're even reaching the roles just under the presidency. So many of the provosts and academic deans, they have positioned themselves in those traditional feeder positions to the presidency. If there's more than enough qualified candidates, then what is holding them back? The research really showed us that women don't take the next step to that position the way that men do. And also that men have alternate pathways to reach the presidency. For example, women are expected to take that traditional path and reach the level of provost, but when they do, they don't make the next step. Men can come in through business and through the government, and they have other ways of entering into the presidency that women don't. Women at these institutions say they felt like outsiders. They spoke a lot about the fact that, you know, they are expected to pursue that traditional path and that also they don't have many of the outside contacts that men have in order to be able to even be considered for the presidency unless they were already engaged in in academia. Gloria says boards appear to be more critical of whether or not candidates who are women could get along with other board members. And they were very upfront in talking about the fact that there were questions around, you know, whether or not women candidates would be able to fit in with the board or with other members of the administration in ways that they don't talk about men. White men didn't seem to get that treatment. On their campuses, when the conversation is around reviewing potential candidates, it's really focuses many times on those who are on the outside for whatever reason. And the term used was outside, whether it's gender, race, disability, or ability. People really find that they're not as comfortable in the search process as those who kind of fit the stereotype of what traditionally they're looking for. This causes a roadblock. And so being outside of the traditional definition of what's a leader has really kept them from moving forward. And someone said, becoming a CEO, sometimes it's more about your golf game than more about your actual skills to lead an institution. And that it's so much of it is in the social domain that obviously women, and particularly women of color, are not having access to. The Chronicle of Higher Education found that in 2019, Only 2.1% of tenured associate and full professors in the U.S. were Black women. Diverse leadership has a heavy impact on campus culture. I mean, it's quite obvious that when women don't have a place at the leadership table or they're not leading that table at universities, it's not just about like that woman who is denied that opportunity. It's about the impact that that woman's leadership can have 
on the institution as a whole. She says the next generation of female students are not seeing a university president as an attainable goal. But if they only continue to see men, where is the drive or the inspiration that women can attain these positions? But also, where is the information or the commitment from the campus that they do care about all of their students if in a hundred years they've never had a woman lead that institution. This is especially true for students of color who are women. Our student bodies, for the most part, over 45% of the students in public institutions, for example, are diverse students of color. And so our campuses are becoming certainly more, are more and more diverse and our leadership really needs to reflect that. And, you know, we need to give women the opportunity to see themselves in these positions. So are universities moving in the right direction? How do they get women in these roles? And what else is getting in their way? Part of it is is just the turnover problem. So basically people have to retire or pass away before you bring in the next group. Waiting takes time, a lot of time. And many women don't want to wait any longer. We certainly can't wait for all of the men in leadership to either retire or to move on to another job. That would extend the lack of women in leadership for decades to come. I think that one of the important things we found in the study is also the fact that there has been a glass ceiling for women where they can make it to a certain point, but don't seem to be able to move forward. And also for women of color in particular, it's more of a concrete ceiling in their ability to move into the ranks of leadership. And we have to be incredibly intentional about changing these statistics and really can't rely on, for example, just assuming that if women continue to get the graduate degrees to rise to the level of leadership in their institutions, whether it's academic leaders, the provost level, that they will be given the same consideration as their male counterparts, because that model isn't working. Another crucial component to elevating female leaders is examining the groups who hire for their positions. Considering she's the president of the CUNY Graduate Center, Dr. Garrell has experience assembling hiring committees. She gives us an idea of how she would advise others making hiring decisions. First off, develop a rubric by which you're going to judge all the candidates so that you don't default to the human nature phenomenon of picking people like yourself. The second thing is to really look broadly and canvas, actively invite candidates to, to be considered so that you have a really great pool. And the third thing is you know, not to narrow your criteria too much because people with extraordinary talent and potential might be outside of your peripheral vision. And often that might be where the women are. A 2019 LinkedIn survey gives us insight into potential problems. For one, it found that recruiters are 13% less likely to click on the profile of a woman compared to a man. Something else to consider. Data shows women apply to less jobs than men. A 2014 Harvard Business Review survey looked at this. It found that 15% of women indicated their top reason for not applying to a job was because they were, quote, following the guidelines about who should apply. Only 8% of men cited that as their top reason. 
Simply put, men aren't passing up on opportunities at the same rate as women, even if they're both as qualified on paper. A common experience, I've certainly seen it, where men might be more likely to say, yeah, I don't meet all the job requirements, but I, I've got this, I can do it. Whereas, and studies show this, women are more likely to find all the places where they are not meeting every single element of a job description and might not even try. How can women help other women climb the ladder? Active encouragement. So by having more women in leadership positions, many of us are, are taking this opportunity to say to our colleagues who are coming up one or two steps behind us to say, well, why not you? Of course you can. Give it a try. Why not? So don't discount yourself too much because the guys aren't. While strides are being made to elevate women in higher education, there's still a way to go before the gender gap tightens. For Gloria, getting there couldn't come soon enough. I must say that it's incredibly disappointing that in 2022, we still have not had the level of female leadership in these institutions. But we also feel that by elevating the conversation and bringing the issue to the forefront, that we can certainly make some strides. Gloria says there must be an intentional effort to increase women in power. She says if schools share information about their low numbers and share the challenges, this leads to solutions. Why does this matter? This information is important because it's really not about what do women need to do different? Why aren't women doing? They must be doing something wrong. We know that women are doing the right things and that women are more than qualified. And it's really not about fixing women. It's about fixing the system, right? Because there are systemic issues in place that keep women from rising to the top. And we really want to also make sure we really look at diversity and inclusion in the broadest possible sense, and that we bring our women leaders across all races and ethnicities and, and abilities to the top of these institutions so that students can see themselves in those positions. It's especially important for higher-ups to understand this in today's climate. I think that given all that has happened over the past two-plus years with the pandemic and seeing the labor that has been placed on women and women faculty, that more than ever, they're looking for leadership that truly understands the needs of women students and the needs of all students and can bring not only those qualifications to the table, but can lead institutions in new and innovative and really intentional ways. For students who are women, it's frustrating to hand over a massive tuition check to a university that doesn't seem to be invested in filling the gender gap in leadership. But as more academics who are women rise in the ranks, that gender gap is becoming less apparent to a newer generation of students. I think students today are not seeing that so much of a barrier, in part because with time there are more women in these leadership roles and progressing in. Most students I talk to aren't thinking about academic deanships and provostships and so on. They do look at the departments they're joining as junior faculty and as they go up through the ranks to see whether there are women who are ahead of them on the road so they can begin to see what's possible and whether it's going to be a good environment where they can really thrive. Thanks so much for listening. 
In Depth is a special production of WCBS News Radio 880. If you are enjoying our series, please rate, review, and subscribe. We're on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to producer Dempsey Palat and audio engineer Andy Eganthorpe. Famie Redwood is the managing producer of podcasts, and I am your host, Jill Webb. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Oh, 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 Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.